Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play. And download archived editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Zoe Weil, co-founder and president of the Institute for Humane Education. She is a passionate advocate for the humane education movement, which works to create humane, peaceful, healthy, and a just world for all people, animals, and the environment through education. Zoe is the author of several books, including the most recent, The World Becomes What We Teach, Educating a Generation of Solutionaries. Zoe helped create graduate programs in humane education, presented TED Talks, and wrote and performed a one-woman show about these topics. And we are grateful to have Zoe Wilde back on Creativity and Play to talk with us again. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you, Steve and Mary Alice. It's great to be here. <laughs> I, as I was looking back at, at um, our introduction from the last time, I I'd forgotten about the, the show you did, and uh, I know you've been quite prolific in many different things, and uh, it was a good reminder, and uh, we're very excited to talk about the new book, but also other things that you continue to be engaged in as well, and um, I think we'll start off with the book, though, because it, it's one of the very timely things and something that uh, we certainly think is a great idea to educate a generation of solutionaries as we talk about creativity and what that means for people of all ages all the time on the show, and um, maybe you can touch on both pieces of the title, the, 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 the main title, The World Becomes What We Teach, which is something you've been, a concept you've been talking about for a long time, and sometimes I have stolen and adapted to say the world becomes what we create as well, and asking the question, so what is it we want to create? And um, the second part of, of this idea of solutionaries, you can touch on both of those concepts first as we kick off, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up from there. Great. Well, you know, the world becomes what we teach is, is really a truism. Education is the root system underlying all other systems. And our future, whether it will be just, whether it will be healthy, whether it will be sustainable, whether it will be humane, has more to do with our educational system than maybe any other system because it is in schools where young people learn and are given the tools to be or not be problem solvers for a better world. So the subtitle is, as you said, Educating a Generation of Solutionaries. And if we take seriously the, the educational goal that, that we might have, which right now in the United States the goal is According to the mission statement at the United States Department of Education, the goal is to prepare students for global competitiveness. Now, in my mind, given the challenges we face in the world, given the fact that half of all species on Earth may be extinct by the end of this century if we don't change how we do things, given the realities of war and population growth and the fact that there are a billion people who don't have access to adequate food or clean water, is the goal of being prepared for global competitiveness really enough. I think that the goal needs to be that we provide all students in age-appropriate ways with the knowledge and the tools and the motivation 
to be problem solvers, critical and creative thinkers, and ultimately solutionaries, people who can address the problems we face in creative ways and in, in, with their passions intact and make a difference. And so that's what I think that we need to be doing in our educational system. And, and tell us, when we talked last time, I think you were beginning to work on the possibility of creating an actual school based on these concepts, but I know you've shifted directions to really try to disseminate this across all schools everywhere and, and outside of school as well. So tell us how that's unfolding now as, as you, you and your colleagues are working to help bring this program and these concepts into schools around the country and I suspect outside of this country as well. Yeah, so... Um, at the Institute for Humane Education, and our website for people who are interested is humaneeducation.org, and what we have been doing for many years is providing the tools for educators to teach about interconnected global ethical issues in order to help students in any setting and of any age be solutionary. So we have a graduate program, and we have online courses, and we do workshops. And this past year, we initiated a program directly for youth themselves. And it's called the Solutionary Congress Program. And we are in the first year of a two-year pilot. And in a Solutionary Congress Program, students, particularly middle school, high school, and hopefully college students as well, work in teams to identify a real-world problem that concerns them to research it very thoroughly so they understand all the systems, the interconnected systems that perpetuate this problem, and then devise a solution and implement that solution and assess it and then ultimately present their ideas at a Congress. And that Congress will be comprised not just of the school community but also of legislators and uh, media and investors who can help the best ideas to spread. So that Solutionary Congress program, we've been piloting it with about a half a dozen schools this year. We'll increase that number next year. We do have it piloted overseas right now in, in one school. And um, the goal is that in 2018 we, we really see this, uh, this program uh, happen in schools all across the U.S. and beyond. And so that's the program. And if people are interested, they can learn more about it at our website. Wow, that sounds great. I, um, so I, as I read your book, so many things flooded me, ideas and um, ways to play and create with our, what is the current educational system for the most part? And you address that in the book in saying that, um, for instance, uh, many kids say they're bored in school, which I've heard from my own grandchildren who pictures I'm looking at right now. Um, and also I'm reminded that when I was at my grand twin school, I saw in the window of the fourth grade class um, the kids had all done stories about what their solutions were for the world. And I read them all as I was waiting for the kids to get out of their classroom. And they were amazing, and I thought, you know, I thought they need to go to legislatures, all these stories. They need to go to the the people that can take that and move it ahead. 
Um, and so, so you know, they were the kids were interested in solutions for their animal rights, for poverty, for their local community, for the global community, etc., and water rights, and so on and so forth. So, um, in your book, um, you also you mentioned this professor from Harvard School of Education, though David Perkins. Mm-hmm. And this playful way that he took the subjects, um, I mean, your classic subjects in school, which you name algebra, calculus, literature, poetry, so on, and had this game of sorts where you take the letters of the alphabet and you create your own subject matter. And I was, again, I was thinking, myself, I did it myself. I made it <laughs> You know, with my husband, I talked about all the subjects I could come up with A and B and C and so forth. And I thought about my own grandkids and what subjects they might come up with with their own intelligences and and their own passions. So, um, you know, I wonder what you have to say, or I'd like to hear what you have to say. We all would about the kind of the regular school system and how just a couple ideas or principles behind how we can make changes for our kids and and uh, help them become the solutionaries we know they all can be. Well, there, there was a lot in that question. Let's see if I can um, break it down know a little there. bit. <laughs> um, just a couple. So, just a couple the first ideas. Thing, the the first thing that you talked about was, you know, kids being bored in school. And, you know, I was bored in school. And I think it is a travesty uh, to bore children in school. You know, this is arguably the most creative, playful time in our lives as human beings is when we are children. And to that playfulness and that joy is uh, is a travesty. It is it, it makes no sense at all. What we ought to be doing is harnessing that playfulness and creativity for the sake of those children and for the sake of the world that they will both inherit and shape. And so what, what are some of the real um, systematic problems in schools? To me, one of those problems is that school seems largely irrelevant to students. It's, it seems largely irrelevant to their lives. So we have these, um, these subjects that we are supposed to learn in certain ways, often with rote memorization. Um, and it, students don't understand what the importance of it is. And some of them, you know, I was a good student. I did what I was told. I was bored, but I thought that this was what I was supposed to do, and I... I was a good girl, so so I did those things. And some of the things that I did I liked. But, but truthfully, I never understood how any of it was really connected to things that I cared about and loved. So to the greatest degree possible, let's see if we can make schools real-world and solutionary focused. So kids, when they're, when they're learning math and they're solving equations or they're learning science and the scientific method, they are learning it for the sake of actually solving real problems, not when or two trains going to meet that left stations at different times in different cities, but real problems that exist for them. And, and then to ensure that, that teachers are educated in such a way that they know how to prepare students to be solutionaries. Because right now teachers, you know, aren't 
they're not provided with the professional development to educate their students to be solutionaries. And then I also think that if we start at the core, which is adopting a more relevant and meaningful purpose for education, which might be to educate a generation of solutionaries, then everything else will follow. The pedagogy will change. The assessments will change. What the students do will change. So you can imagine students you know, doing what I described in the Solutionary Congress program, but not as a program, but part and parcel of the curriculum, part of what's done day to day in their classes. You can imagine teachers in, that have different expertise. One might have expertise in literature, another in math, another in science, another in social studies. And, and you could imagine those teachers collaborating so that students are actually studying a real world issue like how can we ensure that everybody has access to clean water in the world? That's a real-world issue, and it can relate to every subject, and the teachers could collaborate and create curricula that's really interesting for them, and it could ignite their own creativity and their own love of teaching, and the students could do real work that connects all of these what are normally taught in disparate subject categories into something meaningful and holistic. And ultimately, when they come up with real-world ideas, those ideas, the, the, how good they are, how practical they are, how viable they are, how well thought out they are, how well they communicate them, either in writing or verbally, this will be our assessment tool, right? So there's so many different ways that we can make ed education just come alive for kids and for our world. Can, so can you give us a – is there a school or some teachers you can talk about who have taken this on and have gone beyond the, well, you know, this is not what we usually do, and it's so much work to change things, and they've actually um, started to create some new collaborations and ways to um, do some interdisciplinary studies that make the kind of changes you're talking about? Well, there's schools all over, and um, some of them are charter schools or, and some of them are private schools. It's much harder to do within the traditional public school setting, mm -hmm. although there are mm -hmm. teachers in, in, in any public school. There are teachers who are doing this sort of thing to the, best, to the greatest degree possible. I will tell you that one of the things that's been really exciting is that since the book was published in March, um, there was a, a school district in New Jersey that purchased bulk copies so that the uh, teachers and the higher level administrators can read the book and implement its ideas and now we're working with that school district and we're, we're going to work with them on the Solutionary Congress program. There was another school in, uh, in Washington, D.C. that actually has a bunch of satellite schools and they just purchased 200 copies to be the professional development um, summer reading book for the faculty to really grapple with these ideas. And in a couple other places as well, people have purchased bulk copies. And that is really, really exciting uh, to, to us because if people take on – the book is very short. It's, a, it's written as a, as a book that provides both a vision and a blueprint for how mm -hmm. we can go, go about doing this. And, you know, teachers can read it in two hours. And if they do and they work together, we can see these ideas really become manifest. Thank you. I, I assume as um, some of these 
places that are, are using <laughs> the book and, and these ideas um, are beginning to apply it. You've, you've been in the room with some of the, the kids themselves, and can you talk about what you've seen and heard them talk about when they, they themselves get into these ideas and start applying this, this way of learning? Well, the book just came out, and the schools that have just purchased the book, the, the book in bulk, um, are and are working with their teachers. This just happened, so um, this has not the, the Solutionary Congress program. Um, we have implemented it in a few places, not using the book, but um, because the book just came out. Um, and you know, we we had our first Solutionary Congress pilot uh, just last month, and it was just incredible incredibly rewarding to watch these children, and these were middle school students, um, mostly around 12 years old, and they were addressing so many different issues from um, obesity and uh, childhood or or teenage pregnancy in the foster care system to uh, feral um, cats that are, are need spaying and neutering to deforestation uh, to bullying. I mean, these there were these are just some of the issues that these kids are addressing, and it's so encouraging to watch kids learn about issues that concern them, that identify the issues that concern them, and and turn what they're learning in school toward solving something that that they're passionate about. So uh, that was really exciting for me, and we're just going to see more of that. Do you, do you think that um, uh, one of the concepts I was looking at in the book about, um, you know, the idea of the interconnectedness of us all and the, not just of us as humans, but us in the system, as you said at the beginning, I, I, it just made me think about the whole political climate right now and perhaps part of where that has come from is our, our disconnect from seeing our connectedness. I, I'm just wondering if you've been reflecting on this at all in the the current state of politics in our country and and how that plays into this kind of thinking that might lead us to a different place down the road with this new generation, as you're talking about, of of, uh, educating a generation of solutionaries. Um, Yes. Well, interesting that you should bring up the political system um, because I was was just talking to somebody who I met today uh, who asked about the Institute for Humane Education and you know he um, he said, "Oh, my father would think that that's indoctrination." I said, "You know, it is the opposite of indoctrination. That in fact, learning how to actually address real world issues and to research them so that we know that we're getting accurate information and that we're not just getting you know one perspective. <coughs> Excuse me, which is." You know, we we tend to the media um, through Facebook algorithms and Google algorithms. We are getting the media that corresponds to our current belief systems. That so, if you're conservative, you're just going to get more conservative news. If you're liberal, more liberal news. And unless we make a very conscious effort to look at a variety of different perspectives, we will only have our own perspectives reinforced. Now, school is the place where students need to learn not to not to go along with that algorithm, but to become really good researchers so they really can judge factual information from opinion and conjecture. 
and so that they really can address issues in a solutionary way, which means that they're not taking sides. They're learning about all these different perspectives and different issues and different systems so that they can solve the problem. And that's what schools need to do. And then there's like there's four questions that you bring up, um, you know, which are really poignant questions, and I think uh, would help in the curiosity that leads to that kind of research um, of any subject. So, what challenges in the world concern me? What do I love to do, and what am I good at, and what do I need to learn? And so, you know, that really struck me. All those questions, really, I'm sitting with them. And uh, also, I'd really encourage everyone to get on the Institute for Humane Education's email list because I just got an email this morning that was a blog post about, Marsha wrote about risk-taking. So in this whole... um, I, all the ideas you're sharing, though, what part does risk-taking play? So I think that's an important element for you know, both for the teachers and politicians and students and everybody. <laughs> it, it depends on the school, the teacher, and the kid. Um, you know, those four questions that, that I think that, that young people should ask, I mean, they are, uh, I'll just repeat them. What are you most concerned with? What issues are you most concerned with? What are you good at? What do you love to do? Now, when somebody really asks themselves that question, whether they're a teenager or whether they're an adult or, you know, even whether they're approaching the end of their life, if somebody really asks those questions and finds the place where the answers to those three questions meet, then they have the ability to have such a meaningful and joyful life. And then Mm -hmm. the fourth question, what do you need to learn to do? I mean, what do you need to learn in order to, you know, actually put your passions and what you're good at and what you love to do into effect? If if that's what school is really for, if if students can really drive their their education in, in collaboration with their teachers and with the school itself, then they will be set up to live lives of great meaning, great purpose, great joy, and great contribution. Now, you, you asked about risk. That, that's going to depend on the kids. Some are more risk-averse than others. But um, I, I, don't, I, I think that we as a society have taken an enormous and dangerous risk in maintaining the status quo of education the way it is and not embracing what really isn't a risk at all, but which is really um, both intuitive and wise to ensure that education prepares students for the important roles that they need to play to be happy people, to be healthy people, and to help bring about a more just and healthy world for everyone. Yes. And indeed, and I, and I think you know. On uh, I want to remark that on social media, one of the graces of social media is that you get to see some of the joy that comes from people's 
what they love and what they want to share and what they research. And so I see some of that in your, we were mentioning on the phone before the call, the, your photography. So you share some of that, though, and that's really just um, tells us something about your, you know, where you live and what joy you bring to your, the research of your place where you live and sharing that with others. So that, that's, speaks to, I think, the joy that others, um, young people and adults can have in diving into their, what they love and, and what they need to learn. Well, thanks. Yeah, for me, you know, being out in nature and then documenting it and sharing it brings me great joy. And beyond that, I actually think that, you know, people tend to protect and care for who and what they love. And Mm -hmm. so if we love this beautiful planet and all who reside here, then we will be more inclined to do what it takes to protect and care for the natural world and for all the species, human and non-human, who reside upon this this beautiful earth. So I love sharing that with other people. And, And I'm told people tell me all the time that, you know, they have started to notice more because my photography has um, has just you know awakened them to what's right there. I mean, I'm talking about people in Maine because that's where I live. But if anybody wants to uh, friend request me on Facebook, Zoe Weil, uh, W-E-I-L, they're welcome to, and um, and they can see the uh, photos as well. Yeah, thank you. You know, we, again, just chatting about this briefly before we went on together, and um, Mary Alice is usually the one to ask this question but about how you play, but I, I very much see your photography that you share as perhaps one of the many ways you play, and uh, uh, what you were just saying at the end of your comments just now about really a way of seeing and observing, uh, I certainly see that as well in, in the, the photos that you share from nature and, and from around you. So in a couple of minutes we have left, building on your planes for photography, how else do you play and like to play and or perhaps love to play? Oh, you know, I play a lot. I work a lot and I play a lot. I just, you know... I, I love exploring, and so whether that's getting on my paddleboard um, at, at dawn or um, it's observing what's around me or it's doing improvisational comedy, which is my favorite indoor activity to do, and I do that um, regularly, uh, I, I feel like all of the ways in which I play, they, they reinforce uh, the work that I am trying to do. And, and truthfully, most of my work is is so enjoyable and brings me such joy that it might as well be play as well. Yay! <laughs> exactly. Especially in the kinds of topics we've been talking about today. It's been um, quite timely to have this conversation with you today because on the on the. Uh, flip side of the joy in social media this morning, I read a teacher from my community in Connecticut commenting that they were told in a staff meeting that they will take the, I believe, 20 minutes of developmental time out of the kindergarten day next year. Uh, And with a three-year-old in my life, I find it a little disturbing, (laughs) knowing that it's already very much not present. So um, it's very 
great to talk to you today and uh, be re-energized around all of this that um, Mary Alice and I and certainly our broader listeners, I think, share in, in the mission of what you're doing. And um, I personally thank you for that inspiration. And uh, remind us again as we close, you know, for other people who have been inspired as well and want to tap into this for their kids or for their classrooms, how, how can they find out more and, and actually get engaged in the solutionary program in Congress and, and all the related pieces that you've been telling us about? Um, well, they can go to our website, humaneeducation.org, and they can sign up for our e-newsletter. They can um, like us on Facebook at Institute for Humane Education and follow us on Twitter at Humane Education. You can also follow me at Zoe Weil. And, um, and as I said, like me on Facebook or, or friend request me on Facebook as well. And so we have hundreds of free downloadable resources on our website for people who want to bring these ideas into their communities and into their classrooms. I hope people will buy my new book, The World Becomes What We Teach. It's available at our website and also on Amazon. And, um, and you know, maybe people will want to sign up for one of our online courses. We have one for teachers, and it's called Teaching for a Positive Future. It's six weeks long. And we have one for the general public called A Better World, A Meaningful Life. It's also six weeks long. And if you really want to be an, a humane educator who incorporates these issues into your teaching, we have an online graduate program that's affiliated with Valparaiso University, and you can find out about it at our website. And I was going to put in the plug for that graduate program, especially for people who are looking for alternative uh, approaches to education and alternative graduate programs. That I wanted to plug that as well. So thank you. And uh, thank you very much for joining us again on Creativity Play Zoe. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch on all these topics. Uh, Zoe Weil is co-founder and president of the Institute for Humane Education and author of the new book, The World Becomes What We Teach, Educating a Generation of Solutionaries. Our theme music in kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste, and you can find us online at creativityandplay.com. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, Zoe. The world is indeed what we teach. Thank you so much.